Good morning, good morning, good morning. Glad to have you here with us this morning because we celebrate Easter and Easter Sunday on this particular day and I'm just going to look for some things here and get myself sorted. Um, If you've been here for the long time or you've been here for the first time, we want to welcome you here because this is a really special day in the life of people who follow Jesus and uh, we're going to unpack a little bit about that this morning. And as we do, I'd just like you to turn and pick up one of the cards here next to you. If um, you're just sitting down and you can see one of these cards, we have, uh, just as we pause before I launch into what I want to share with you this morning, uh, a relationship series coming up in the next two weeks. Um, why do we do that? Because we realize at New Community that relationships are easy, are they not? Relationships are really easy. And so that's why we kind of want to connect what God says in the Bible about relationships and how to make them work even easier. And we want to invite you to come along, bring a friend, bring an acquaintance, bring anyone you like and be part of this series. You're probably sitting here this morning and thinking, oh, that's a bit of the bait, isn't it, to get us here? Um, And I said, well, yes, just up front, I want to let you know, yes, it is, um, because we believe Jesus is worth sharing. We want to keep him all to ourselves and we think he makes a difference in people's lives. So you don't have to believe and come along, but if that happens as a byproduct along the way, we're going to kind of cheer for that as well. So just so you know, that's our relationship series coming up over the next two weeks. Easter for me was growing up in two things. Easter Sunday was two things. First thing Easter Sunday was, was chocolate. The other thing that Easter Sunday was, was church. And those two things used to go in the reverse order. There was church first, and then there was chocolate. Now, you figure as a kid, which one was more important and exciting? Hmm? All right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I used to turn up to church and there was a, the don't fidget, uh, so the mums and dads doing this thing, don't fidget, don't touch, just sit still, right? And there was this guy up the front who would bang on and on and on. We just wanted him to finish so we could go home and unwrap those really colourful Easter eggs, right? Wrap it off and we could eat, taste the chocolate and get that chocolate high. If you asked me as a kid, which was the most exciting one, it was a no-brainer, okay? But then as I got a little bit older, probably into my late teens, early 20s, things began to shift for me. I began to unpack the words of Jesus, explore this profound sort of life that was lived, and I discovered that he spoke into the deepest longings of the human heart, in fact, my heart. And so as I grew older, the chocolate thing became a little bit less for me. It's because I I held down a job at that stage so I could buy it whenever I wanted. (laughs) And, and, And the church thing began to speak far more profoundly into my life in the present and in the future. And so there was kind of a shift for me when it came to understanding. So it's because today on this day, what I came to discover, even more than Christmas and the birth, even more than Friday and the death, this day I discovered was like the epicenter for all of those followers of Jesus. In fact, one of the writers in the Bible by the name of Paul, he said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are to be pitied more than all people on the face of the earth. He writes this. He says, we're to be pitied because we believed a lie, a lie that didn't happen, didn't take place, isn't real. He said, if you believe that, you've believed in a lie and you'd be pitied more than all the people. In fact, what you should do is eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He quotes a little phrase. He says, there is no hope. All there is is here and now. So you might as well just have a party. Lots of chocolate. But that's not what he goes on and argues. In fact, he discovers and he says that there's something that's true, that's true of Jesus That's true of life, and that's what we want to unpack this morning. 
I want to pause for a moment and unpack the words that were read early up that you saw with a little bit of video. Isn't it so much more believable when it's on video? Yeah, they captured live footage. One of my, my uni friends used to say, Troy, it's so much more believable when it's on DVD back then. CD now, whatever other format. And so I want to pause for a moment and just sort of unpack some of John's words that he writes because he writes this story about Jesus. And when I say story, it's not like once upon a time story. It's kind of like the real event, because you see, John writes in another letter, he says, what I've beheld with my eyes, what I've held with my hands, what I've seen, I want to proclaim to you. He's an eyewitness. And near the end of his life, he takes pen to papyri and he begins to write down. In fact, for anyone who's familiar with the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, it starts off in Genesis, the book of beginnings, and it says, in the beginning, God created. And John starts off his account, his version of Jesus and the events, and he says, in the beginning, there was Jesus. He was the word. And then he goes on to expand and unpack that. And so here in this place this morning, I just want to begin with taking John's words and, 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 and unpack them for us. And as I do, I want to get one thing really clear. And this is it. On Easter Sunday morning, nobody was expecting somebody to rise from the dead. Let me say that again. On Easter Sunday morning, nobody was expecting somebody to rise from the dead. And when I mean nobody, I mean absolutely nobody. The story goes like this. On the first day of the week, writes John... That's a curious phrase. Let's just put that up here for a moment. We'll come back to that later. Uh, On the first day of the week, very early, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark. She saw the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran off and went and told Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, we don't unpack that this morning. I'm just saying. Don't you love that? The one Jesus really, really liked. And then then she has this... in, in. encounter and she drags them back to the tomb. They inspect it and they think something's happened here. But then after they've inspected the tomb, there's no Jesus. So then the disciples return to their homes. You see, in their mind, in their thinking, nobody was expecting somebody to rise from the dead. Now, if you've been following with us over the past month, or perhaps you were here on Thursday night when we had that dinner together and Helena McNeil was singing songs about how God intersected with her life. It was a great night. Or maybe you were with us just on Friday or you've just arrived with us today. That part of the backstory for this is that what was taking place is that Jesus, as he was drawing close to Jerusalem, he began to say to people, by the way, I just want you to know the Son of Man, referring to himself, is going to go to Jerusalem, he'll die, he'll be crucified, and on the third day he'll rise again. And it just goes completely over their heads. Why? Because he repeated that time and time again. Well, the first reason why we had to discover this is because, is because they had what we called a Messiah complex back then. The Messiah complex went something like this. We are waiting for someone to come and liberate Israel. We are waiting for someone who will come and put wrongs to rights. And we believe that this person, Jesus, is the man, is the one that God sent. And as a result of that, we believe that the Messiah is the one who will actually nullify the Roman occupation, elevate us to high status, and God is going to set up his kingdom, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be wild, and it's going to be great. And so they they journeyed to Jerusalem with this expectation. So they had a Messiah complex. The second reason why they they didn't believe Jesus' words, they just went over their heads, was because crucifixion worked. Crucifixion worked. 
The Romans used it as a way of kind of deterring other people from sort of agitating in the kingdom. And it was brutal. So if you're a little bit squeamish, just block the ears right now. Yeah. Because the way they would do it, if the flogging didn't get you, which kind of tore muscles off bones that just laid blood sort of to the vulnerable air, if that didn't get you, then hanging on a cross sometimes for days with six-inch nails driven into your hands and feet would do it. In fact, the lovely aspect of crucifixion, which was so abhorrent, was that people experienced excruciating pain because they weren't just left to die in a few hours. Sometimes it was for days. And people would either die of two things. One, they would actually die of exhaustion or they would, die, uh, they would drown to death because there was so much fluid built up in the lungs. Sorry, just, you can unblock your ears now. But it was just excruciating. And so they saw people who had experienced that and they realized that once you're crucified, it's kind of like 100% success rate, okay? No one was expecting somebody to rise on that Easter morning. I mean, there was no one outside the cave going, 10, 9, 8. Nobody was expecting somebody because messiahs don't die and crucifixion actually works, Nobody was expecting somebody to rise from the dead. You see, followers of Jesus don't believe Jesus rose from the dead just because the Bible says so. It actually goes deeper and, and cuts such deeper and is more meaningful and more profound than that. In fact, the story goes on. One of the 12, Thomas, who we get the whole phrase, doubting Thomas has merged into the English language, wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples spoke to him and said, we've seen the master and then Thomas's reply is, unless I see the mark of the nails in my, his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I am not going to believe any part of this. Because they'd seen a dead man being crucified and they were crushed at the heart. And even Thomas, even though his friends had said to him, hey, we've seen him come back to life, even Thomas wasn't prepared to accept it. In fact, a little bit of the side story here goes like this. The religious leaders... They had more belief in a resurrection than, than actually his followers because they actually went to Pilate. The, the religious leaders who had actually pushed Pilate into crucifying him, they said, hey, we heard this story that Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. And so just so we can squash all sense of the movement getting out of hand and we can extinguish it right here and right now, can we put some guards on the tomb? So the disciples can't come and steal the body, and then they can run away and tell everyone he's actually come alive. In fact, they believe the story, if you like, that something would happen even more so than the others. If there's one thing that was true about that Sunday morning is that nobody believed that somebody would rise from the dead. The second thing that followers of Jesus don't believe is that Jesus rose from the dead because we don't like evidence-based inquiry. Not that that was going to come for about 1,600 years later as we know it. However, that's the very experience of Thomas. Thomas is standing there in the room and he has no idea what's taken place. And he goes on and says this, a week later. That's that phrase back again, a week later. The disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut. I love this. John writes it in. He goes, I just want you to know that the doors were shut so you couldn't just walk through. Jesus came and stood in the middle of them. He says, peace be with you. 
And then in that very moment, he turns to Thomas, the one who was expecting that nobody would rise on that particular day. Bring your finger here, he said to Thomas, and inspect my hands. Bring your hand here and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, just believe. He said, Thomas, come on over. I want you to, with your finger, I want you to place it in the space where the nails went. I mean, this is evidence-based inquiry like you would not believe. And Thomas, he says, I want you to take your hand, I want you to plunge it into my side, where the spear wound was. And Thomas, in that moment, seeing Jesus in front of him, responds in the only practicable way that someone like you and I would respond if that happened to us. He responded with these words, my Lord and my God. Jesus turns to him at that moment and says, is it because you've seen me that you believe? God's blessing on people who don't see and yet they believe. You see, Nobody was expecting somebody to rise from the dead on that Easter Sunday morning. Nobody, even Thomas the week later, discovered that there is something that has emerged from that tomb that I cannot, I cannot, I cannot deny because I've seen it with my own eyes. And I felt him with my own hands. You see, followers of Jesus believe Jesus rose from the dead, not because the Bible says so, or because they're not into evidence-based inquiry, but because they saw him alive. And they dared to go out through the entire empire, declaring that they had seen this man Jesus come to life again, and that he was alive, he was alive, and he was alive. And some of them As they were scattered throughout the whole empire, the ripple effect of that profound experience and encounter they had just just gravitated and moved in their bodies for their entire lives. And in fact, they went to the distant corners of the empire prepared to proclaim something that they had seen and felt with their own eyes. And some of them, in fact, all of them bar one, suffered tragic, painful, agonizing deaths for for this truth that they had seen. I mean, there's Peter. He's in Rome, he's crucified, and he's upside down. And there's Paul beheaded. There's, there's Thomas all the way in India, he met with a spear. And John is left at the end of his life, and he starts to write these things down. And, and, and he declares to them, these are the things that we have seen, these are the things we've encountered. And the ripple effect throughout the empire was profound. In that very moment, when Thomas experiences... Jesus alive, it changes him profoundly. Doubt is turned to belief. He's despondent, but it's turned to joy. I mean, everything that Jesus has said, I'm the resurrection and the life, is true. Everything that Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail, is affirmed. When Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you, it's validated. That they discovered in this, this new life of Jesus was that it was bubbling over and percolating over in them that everything that Jesus had spoken about was true and was true for them. And he was alive. And that was good news. And I'll see it on some of your faces with a little smile. Because the declaration from the tomb on that particular day was that he's risen and he's risen indeed. But see, John doesn't just stop there on this particular story, this particular narrative. 
that phrase on the first day of the week. Let's unpack that for a moment. Because John believed that this Jesus, this coming to life again, wasn't just one solitary man, some son of God coming back to life again that we could all go, oh, goody, goody, Jesus, good for you. God raised you to the dead. Well done, you. John believed that it had profound effect and meaning for the entire world. So at the beginning of his story, he goes back and he does the retake Genesis account. He says, in the beginning was Jesus. And then he starts to count the days forward. On the sixth day, it says in the book of Genesis, God created human beings in his own image. On the seventh day, it says that God rested. So John writes in his account, on the sixth day, Pilate presents Jesus to all the people and he says, look, here's the man, here's the fully human one, the way you were supposed to be, the the way you were supposed to live, the way you were designed to do. This is the man. On the seventh day, he's crucified and he's in the tomb and he rests for a day. And then John says, on the eighth day, what is going on here? On the eighth day, the first day of a new beginning, of a new week, of a new creation, Jesus actually comes to his disciples and he breathes on them. And he says, here is the new life of the future age that's come into the present. The old creation doesn't hold death anymore. The old creation doesn't hold guilt anymore. The old creation doesn't hold you anymore. In fact, what's happened is that if Jesus has come alive, it's not just one solitary man. Oh, goody for you. You've come alive. Isn't that great? He said he was beginning a whole new movement where the world was being recreated, human hearts were being transformed, and you can know him too. So many years ago, I was in the Silly Isles. Has anyone been to the Silly Isles before? They're silly. Silly Isles is off Cornwall. We, 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 we caught a helicopter and we went over and we landed on the Silly Isles. There was just one child, two children with us at the time. The third one wasn't a thought. And, then, and, and, and we were on the beach one day. And the Atlantic is cold. Has anyone been to the Atlantic before? It is cold. And, and on this particular day, we were out playing in the sand, as dads do with the kids, and, and we were digging with our shovels and spades, and we were making a castle. And all the other kids along the beach in the Silly Isles were making castles as well. And I remember sitting there and looking up and down the beach and thinking, I wonder if we could hold back the tide. So I gathered as a... Dad did. I gathered all of the kids in the Silly Isles. Silly thing, I know. But we gathered all of the kids and we said, how about we try and actually beat the tide? Let's build a wall. Let's build a castle and we can stand inside of this thing and we can literally hold back the tide. Well, it was all hands on deck. I mean, there were spades and shovels. There was kids everywhere. We built this wall and we stood behind it and we were impenetrable. And then the tide came. And the tide came. And the tide came. And the tide came. And we tried to hold that thing back, but we couldn't. We loaded up more sand. We loaded up more sand, and it just washed it away. I'm telling you what John was trying to say here on the first day of the week, the new week, the new week of new creation. He was trying to say where death and evil and wrong and sin had its way in the world. No longer is that actually true for anyone who places their belief in Jesus. It's as though God's new creation comes and breathes on you afresh. And it brings you alive the way you were supposed to be made from the beginning. And 
there will be joy and there will be hope and, and there will be a forgiveness and there will be a new life. And that was what he was doing on the first day of that new week. He was declaring that everything has shifted. Everything has changed. The future age is now broken into the present and you could be part of that new creation too in old bodies like your own, yours and mine. It's true and it can be true for you. You see, the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus... Um, he actually said uh, he, they didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead just because the Bible said so. They didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead just because they weren't into inquiry-based discovery. They believed Jesus had rose from the dead because they'd seen him alive with their own eyes. And they could declare this, we believe Jesus is alive because he is alive. He is alive in me. So let me ask you the question this morning. The question that I've got to ask on Easter Sunday morning. The first day of a new creation, brand new week. Do you know that week? And are you part of that? Do you know the peace that only God can give? When Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you, he meant it. Do you know the life that only God can give? Because what I think he wants to do here again just today, like he did 2,000 years ago, is breathe new life into us. John writes this at the end. He says, These things are written so that you may believe and that the Messiah, the Son of God, is none other than Jesus and that with this faith, you may have life in his name. I'm not saying that you won't die, but you live on and the life of the future age becomes alive in you. The band's going to come up in a minute. We're going to finish with a profound song. But let me ask you again this morning. Do you know that life? That Easter Sunday morning life? Is it in you? Because just as Jesus came to his disciples and he breathed on them his spirit, new life coming into them. I believe that offer is still available right here, right now, today. John writes at the very beginning in his first chapter. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Fresh life, fresh wind, fresh spirit. So three things. First time, return time, refresh time. You've been hearing me this morning and you sense God knocking and speaking to you. This is the first time you've heard this before. I want you to know that you can know Jesus and his life right here and now. As this song is being played and it's being sung, you just open up your heart and mind and say, like Thomas, a simple prayer, my Lord and my God, that's who you are, Jesus. Come into my life. I believe you will. 
And he will breathe just like he did on his disciples. Fresh life into you. Resurrection life. First time. Return time. You've wandered. Just so you need an injection each year. Come back Easter. Come back Easter. Come back Easter. But there's not much in between. You go, this is defining moment. Send a ripple throughout the kingdom. It can send a ripple throughout my heart. That you might in this space open up your heart and mind and say, Jesus, my Lord and my God, again I come. Forgive me. Work in me. Renew me. Well, maybe you're here this morning. It's refresh time. You've kind of gone squidgy and crumbly around the edges. You believe. Solid. But you long for a fresh wind to blow upon you, just like the disciples experienced a new creation. And a new joy and a new hope and a new peace. Why don't you, when this song is being sung, Jesus, would you pour your fresh wind and your fresh life and your spirit upon me that I may know you, that I may know you, that I may know you. You see, Jesus, he blew on them. He sent them out into the four corners Christianity isn't about trying to drag people into a building. It's about actually heading out and declaring with courage, just like Cash did today. There is a God. He's alive. And he's alive in me. So as you hear these words, if you're in the overflow room, the same is for you. Why don't you open your heart up and respond to him as you sense his spirit prompting you today on this Easter day, this Sunday. This new day, the brand new creation.